You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning again and welcome to church. My name's Dave. I'm the pastor here at Harborside Church. And uh, I'm going to be sharing a message from what we just heard. We are starting a new series, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to be sitting down presenting this message to you, or trying to be more relaxed for you that who are more relaxed at home. Maybe a more comfortable, maybe a shorter message. Fingers crossed, but no guarantees. Uh, trying something new, so bear with me. Well, I hope you've been doing well. As I said before, restrictions have been relaxed, and we're going to keep praying that they relax even more. And let's continue to pray for our leaders in government as they seek to make pretty tough decisions. Well, today we're beginning a brand new series, which I'm really excited about, and it is full of drama. It's got love, hate, betrayal, lies, and a whole bunch of family drama. And I'm not talking about Married at First Sight. I'm not talking about your favorite series to drop on Netflix. Not talking about those things. I'm talking about the ancient story of Joseph. We've just had it read to us, the first part, found in the book of Genesis. And this is such a great story for us because all the issues that we find present in this story are our issues. Let's face it, human beings have not changed much even in 3,000 years. And I think the greatest reason this, this story, this true story is so relevant to us is because despite all the junk that we see in this narrative, despite all the flaws, all the brokenness, it's actually a story of hope amidst all that stuff. It's a story of hope because our God is a God of hope. Now, I really believe as we dive into this series that our minds are going to be blown. Some of us are kind of familiar with it, maybe from hearing it when we were young, Sunday school, but a lot of those ideas are going to be blown out of the water and our minds are going to expand as we experience the richness and the fullness of who God is. But my prayer is more. My prayer is that actually that our hearts would make more room for Him. As we understand about more of who God is, that we'd make room in our hearts and therefore that would lead to worship. That our more knowledge of Him, who God is, how worthy He is of of our trust, would lead us to bow the knee more. So that's my hope and prayer as we dive into this. Now in this series, we've called The Dreamer, the story of Joseph. We're going to see lots of themes. We're going to see that God always keeps His promises. We're going to see that God is in control, even always, even when it seems like the total opposite. And we're really going to see that God uses all things for our good. One popular commentator speaking about this story calls this story of Joseph the hidden call of God. And I like that because you'll notice as we go on, there's no obvious miracles. There's nothing really supernatural happening in this story apart from the dreams. It's all pretty kind of normal, quite relatable, really. It's, um, we're going to see that God does work with his hand of miracle, but often works in his hand of providence, which is really comforting for me. I don't know about you, because that sounds like my day to day. My normal life is not many miracles. But when I exercise faith, when I stoke those flames of faith, I can see God working in my life through his hand of providence. Maybe a quiet hand, but still a true and steady hand of providence. So a great series for you and I in our times. But before we dive into the text, let's kind of get up to date with a bit of background. We start this story of Joseph at chapter 37 of Genesis 
What's happened in the last 36 chapters? Well, I'm not going to tell you all about that, but let me give just a little bit of background that will help us. We know Adam and Eve in chapter 3 are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And as you keep reading, things just go from bad to worse. And you just keep thinking, where's the hope? How are we ever going to get right with God again? How are human beings ever going to be put right again with each other? How are we going to be put right even with the ground, with creation? Is there any good that's going to come? And the answer is yes, and it starts in Genesis 12. God speaks to Abraham and chooses him, not because Abraham's special, but because God simply chooses him. And he makes him a promise, three promises. He says, I'm going to give, make you a people, lots of descendants. I'm going to give you land and I'm going to make you a blessing. I will bless everyone through you. But here's the problem. We get to Genesis 37 and how are those promises doing? Not so great. People have had kids through a lot of struggle, actually. And are they in their own land? No, they're not yet. And they're barely a blessing to themselves, let alone a blessing to the nations. And here's the thing. In this story of Joseph, there are threats that come against those promises ever making the light of day. Family violence, famine, and inter intermarriage between the tribes that will just wipe out Israel for good. Now, here's what I love about this story, Joseph. All of those things, all the promises and the threats are, are what's the word? Resolved, that's one, are resolved in this story. So that's what we're up to, a bit of background. Now let's dive in. And if you've got your Bibles, I would love it if you'd open them with me, if you're old school like me, or maybe you've got your phone, the app, that's totally fine. Bring it up to Genesis 37 verse 1, because we're going to be reading the first few verses together, and I'm going to be referring to the others too. So grab your Bible. That's going to be really helpful as we dive into verse 1 together. Here we go. Let's get introduced to our very human characters in the story. Here we go. Verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Now, you might be thinking, Jacob, I thought this was a story about Joseph. Well, it is. And in Hebrew, to talk about someone's family line was to talk about their kids. So we're going to be focusing on Jacob's kids. And, but who is Jacob? That's an important question to answer before we go any further. You can read more about him in Genesis 25 to 36, a great story in itself. But some helpful background is this. The dysfunction we're about to see in the sons starts much earlier. It starts between Jacob's wives and even before that in Jacob's family. Jacob's a twin and he steals his brother's birthright, Esau's uh, birthright. And because of that, he runs away from his family in fear and he runs headlong into a whole lot of other problems. He falls in love with a woman called Rachel, but is tricked into marrying Leah. And then he marries two other people, sort of lesser wives, concubines, and have, has 12 kids. And that is the beginning of a dysfunctional story. Four wives, 12 kids. My goodness, sounds like the Jerry Springer show. But it is mayhem. Now, um, what we see between two of the wives, Leah and Rachel, they are enmeshed in bitter, jealous rivalry. And that dysfunction carries down to the sons. Now in verse 2, we're introduced to the first son that we hear of, of Jacob. It is Joseph. And what are we told about him? Well, we're told at the end of verse 2 that he's 17 years old. And then we're told something not super flattering about him, I think. He's out in the fields with some of his other brothers who are all older than him. It's the first thing we're really told about him. He comes and brings a bad report about them. 
So the first thing we're told about Joseph is he's a dobber, kind of a tattletale, maybe even a golden child, a favoured child. And those suspicions are confirmed in verse 3. Let's have a look together. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Now, Israel, that's just the other name Jacob has. So Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Here we have it, just in plain English. What a statement. He loves Joseph more than the other 11 sons. Now, the reason the text gives is because he was born to him in his old age. But if we read between the lines and remember what's happened before, we know that Joseph is the first son to his favourite wife, Rachel. He loved her more than the others. And now all of this love and affection is put into Joseph. All that favoritism is put into her first son, Joseph, with pretty terrible consequences, right? He makes that favor and that love for him unmissable by doing what? By making him a special robe. Now, I don't want to squash all the Sunday school memories that we have about this story. I mean, it's so familiar to us. It's a Broadway show, right? Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. We're not entirely sure it was multicolored. The word that is used um, ornate in this translation I'm reading, it could mean multicolored, but it probably just means different. Most commentators think it just means long sleeve. So no, that's kind of boring. Joseph and the long sleeve coat, not very interesting. But that doesn't really matter. If you want to think it's multicolored, that's fine. But what does matter is this, it's different, it's special. He has it and the other brothers don't. He is a physical reminder of his father's love over and above the love he has for the others. That's what we're supposed to take from this. It wasn't a working coat, it was a special coat just for him. And how do the brothers feel about it? Let's have a look. Verse four, let's read together. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they completely understood and were fine with it. No, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. That's intense, isn't it? You know when you are just filled with anger towards someone and you, you can't think anything good about them. You can't say a kind word about them. When that is true, you know that your feelings for them are so intense. You've got to deal with that. This is what the brothers are feeling for their brother, Joseph. And here we have just the family dysfunction and the sibling rivalry just made clear. And it sets the scene for the whole story. These first four verses are an introduction to the whole rest of the 13 chapters. And what are they? What are the real issues here? Jacob, through his own, let's face it, bad parenting, favours one son over the other, loves Joseph disproportionately. Joseph then becomes precocious, a bit of a brat. And the brothers are filled with hatred and jealousy towards him and maybe probably directed to the father as well. Now, I wonder if uh, there are any echoes of your family life here. Now, granted, the issues that we are looking at are intense. You might be thinking, Woof, I thought my family was bad. But if we're honest, most families are filled with drama. I know throughout my life, I've looked at families and gone, oh, they're so lovely all of them. They couldn't possibly have any family drama. If you think that, you just don't know the family well enough yet. All families have drama. All families have some level of dysfunction. And I, I just think some of these things are quite familiar to us. What are they? Well, unfairness, 
favoritism, sibling rivalry, feelings of being unloved, underloved, unwanted. I wonder if you were ever compared to your, uh, to your other siblings or compared to children from other families. It's not a nice feeling, is it? Why can't you be more like... It's a terrible feeling and it never works, does it? Now, at this point, you might be thinking, hang on a second, polygamy, hatred, jealousy, favoritism, what's going on here? I thought these people were supposed to be God's people. Yeah, it's confronting, isn't it? Here we have a major theme introduced for us, and it's this. God uses broken people to bring about his promises. Why does he do that? Because that's all he's got to work with. God uses broken people. I mean, here are the patriarchs, right? The fathers of faith. Look at them, riddled with sin. Absolutely, yet God still uses them to fulfill his promises and bring about good in their lives. So this is the background to the unfolding story. Now from verse 5, the story moves on and it starts with a dream. Two dreams. Joseph has two dreams. Let's look at the first one. Joseph's out in the fields. He's dreaming this, out in the fields with his brothers and they're harvesting. They're bringing the grain in and when they do that, they put it together and they gather it up together into a sheaf. In the dream, Joseph's sheaf, his sheaf, rises up and his brother's sheafs all come toward it and bow down to it. Now, it's a weird dream. Most dreams are weird. It's weird, but the meaning's pretty clear. The brothers will bow down to Joseph. Now, poor Joseph, right? He's young at this, well, 17, youngish, kind of spoiled, and he hasn't had time for his character really to grow and build. That will happen in prison. We'll see that in a few weeks' time. But right now, his EQ is pretty low. He tells the brothers the dream, maybe not so wise. And how do you think they feel about it? They're not that excited about it. They say to him, do you intend to rule over us? Joseph has a second dream, pretty similar. Now there's a sun and a moon and 11 stars representing the brothers, the sun and the moon representing his parents, and they bow down to him. Now Joseph, again, he's a pretty slow learner. He tells the brothers the dream again, and this time he tells his father. His father's not that impressed about hearing that he might bow down to him too. But this is the thing about Jacob. He's got some history with dreams. He knows that God is probably working through this dream. And maybe there's something special about Joseph. So he doesn't um, dismiss it out of hand. He keeps it in mind. So here we go. It's important to note that these dreams are from God and do tell us what will happen. The father and the brothers will bow down to Joseph, but it will be for their own good and the good of God's people as a whole. God comes into the mess of his chosen people, a very broken and dysfunctional family, and shows us he will still use them to bring about his promises. That's great, isn't it? Now, where to from here? Where to from here? What do you and I, what do we do with this story today? There's uh, some obvious application, maybe. There's some possible application like this. Don't be like Jacob, right? Don't be like Jacob. Don't, if you've got kids, don't favour your children. Look at the destruction it can bring. Look at the mess it can bring about. Now, let's just admit for a second the reality that some kids are easier to love than others. Some are more rebellious, some show you more love, and just some are easier to get along with. But as Christians, 
We love our kids equally because God loved us, not because we were special, but because he chose to. So don't be like Jacob. Don't favor your kids. That's some possible application. What else? Well, don't be a spoiled brat like Joseph. <laughs> there's, some, there's some application. If you are that favored child, it's, it's probably pretty hard to figure out that you are. But if pray for some self-awareness. Ask your siblings, am I the golden child in the family? Have some self-perspective. Don't be a sport brat. There you go. What did you learn from church today? Here's some application. I learned not to be a sport brat. <laughs> so there you go. So that's some possible application. What else? Don't be like the brothers. Don't be filled with jealousy and hatred. Here's some, that's some possible application for us, right? I think it's all true. But if we left it there and any of the sermon there, and some of you thinking that'd be great, I got something in the oven. But if we did leave it there, I think we're doing a disservice to the text and to ourselves because we're just skimming over the surface of the issues that are present here. So bear with me while we spend a couple more minutes trying to dig a little deeper. See, I think this passage is supposed to make us feel the weight and complexity of families and our issues, right? Families can be pretty messed up. They're broken. Parents are sinful. Kids are sinful. There is no end to the drama families can produce. They're significant issues, aren't they? And they often start young and therefore they're long-standing and they cut to the heart like unlike anything else. Our families can cause us to do crazy things, right? I think we're meant to realise, sorry, I think we're meant to relate to how the characters in this story act and realise that we're not that different. I think we're meant to be convicted and realise we can't help but act like this. Because the problems on display here, they're deep heart issues, deep issues of the heart. They affect every single one of us. What am I talking about? The desire for approval, the desire for affirmation, the way we perform to get those things and the terrible ways we can act and react if we don't get them. I don't know about you, but I've been thinking about this a lot this week. And I think the more we think about this, the more it feels it's just almost impossible to break this, this cycle of behaviour. I mean, how can you and I, how can we possibly rise above our family dysfunction? How can we do it? Well, many counsellors spend years working with people to sift through these issues, so I'm not going to pretend to be able to do it in a few minutes' time. But what I can do and what I want to do is point us all to Jesus Christ and point us all to the gospel because I believe only the power of the gospel can bring us the true freedom you and I need to break the cycle of family dysfunction. And when I talk about family dysfunction, what am I talking about? I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about breaking the power of sin in our lives, which we all play a part in, which we're all guilty of. As we try to apply the gospel to these issues, let's just take some of the characters. I could spend the rest of the day doing this, but let's just take the brothers as an example, okay, as we try and apply the gospel. Let's sit with them for a moment in their pain. Let's try and imagine what, some, for some of us, we don't have to try too hard to imagine what it's like to be overlooked, but let's sit with them for a moment. Imagine their pain at being rejected by their father. All the love and affection they desire from their father channeled into someone else 
They are overlooked, unwanted, really, unloved. I mean, think about it. Back then, particularly in a patriarchal society, their father, the center of their world, and they're overlooked by him. All that's channeled into another brother. Just imagine the pain of that. But what if the brothers, instead of being incensed by their treatment and driven towards almost murderous acts, instead of being incensed, thought they experienced a circuit breaker. Instead of being absolutely devastated, they were disappointed. They thought, you know what, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not hurt. I'm not going to pretend I'm not disappointed, but I'm not devastated. I'm disappointed, but not devastated. How could they get there? What could cause them to act like that? What could cause you and I to act like that? Well, we would have to replace what we desired, in their case, the love and approval and affirmation of their father, have to replace that with something else. But that'd have to be pretty big, wouldn't it? It'd have to be pretty powerful. What could be big enough to take the place of that? Only the love and approval of our great God. Jesus Christ, at his baptism, heard these words from his heavenly father. This is my son whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. These are the words those brothers longed to hear from their father but didn't. But for the follower of Jesus, for the one who chooses to become part of the family of God, these words are true for you. This is my son, this is my daughter whom I love. I'm proud of you. To be a Christian is to be part of the family of God, where the Father loves us despite our sin. Each one of us has turned away from Him. Every day we do things that don't honour Him. But our Father loves us despite of our sin. And we don't have to perform for it because we already have it in Christ. I don't have to fear losing it because God keeps His promises and promises that His love will never fail. You see the security this brings? Replacing anything else we'd want with the love of the Father, the security this brings, no one can take it away. So even when we face rejection in our own family, which I don't want to say is insignificant, that's very hard to deal with, but even when we face something like that, we can weather this storm and any storm because we have something greater that will never reject us. When we face rejection, we know that Jesus Christ experienced rejection on our behalf so we don't have to. So, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's be reminded that our God is a God of hope, that He can work through the messiest family, the most broken situation to bring about good in our lives if we'll let Him, if we trust Him. Well, why don't I pray as we close together? Let me pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this ancient story that is closer to our hearts than we know. We thank you that you are a great God of hope and can work good out of the messiest situation. Lord God, we admit that we act poorly when so many things are challenged in our lives, the things that we want more than you. Lord, we ask that you would change our desires. 
We ask that we would seek to put you first and everything else will make sense. Jesus, we thank you that you experienced rejection so we would not. And I pray, Lord God, that you would apply this to us by your spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.